you were asked to produce an audiobook, where would you start? How would you plan out your approach, including what accents to use for characters and how to deal with publishing company feedback, for example? Let's find out. Welcome to Half Hour Mentor. It's Ian Cleverdon here, and welcome to my podcast series designed to help anyone who's looking for inspiration to develop their creative skills, whether professionally or as a hobbyist. For this series, our focus is the creative arts. I'm interviewing musicians, authors, actors, songwriters, but also speaking to some in the management fields of this wide-ranging industry. All of my guests have been carefully chosen, as each one of them has an interesting backstory from which we can all learn. In the last episode, we heard about the fascinating career of actor, audiobook narrator and musician Greg Patmore. If you haven't listened to that first episode, go back and have a listen to that one first, as you'll understand how he's become one of the most in-demand narrators in the industry. In today's episode, Greg gives us a masterclass in the process of preparing for and producing an audiobook from a narrator's perspective. Greg became an actor in his mid-40s, fulfilling a lifelong ambition and has enjoyed a varied career on stage, screen and in the voiceover studio ever since. His credits include being a regular in audio dramas made by Audible UK and has appeared as a voiceover artist in major movie and TV productions including The Gunman and Ripper Street. Greg is best known on TV as Good Lias Hatfield in the Golden Globe and Emmy Award winning Hatfields and McCoys. Also as Johnny Smith in Coronation Street and the voice of Kurt Lobo in The Jackport Killer. If you're new to the series, please follow it on whichever streaming platform you use and go back and have a listen to the variety of different episodes available. This series is completely independent of sponsorship and is also ad-free, so if you'd like to sponsor the series or just throw in a few virtual pennies into the bowl to keep us going in tea and Kit Kats, feel free to do so by donating online via the link in the show notes. We would really appreciate it. So let's dive into Greg's Masterclass. Greg, talk me through about the process of how you get the role of an audiobook. So, you know, who, who presents you with it and then how do you prepare and get to the stage of actually the final product, how long it takes and so on? There are several different ways that it works and people work in different ways. So you might find yourself in a situation where um, if you're an actor, first and foremost, and quite well known, you'll be approached, your agent might be involved. It may come from a publisher and the process will be that you'll go to a studio and you'll have an engineer, a producer, you might even have a director, you may have other actors and other narrators present and you're there to perform as you would in anything else. The main difference between doing it that way and doing it how I mainly do it and the joy of doing it that way to an extent, you do it a lot quicker because you're not worried about the technical side you're not worried about uh, anything else. All you've got to do is turn up and sit in the studio and say your words. So you'll tend to work quite long days, but you're focusing entirely on the performance and then off you'll go home and you'll get paid for that. And that's, you know, that's great. So I've sometimes I'll work that way because I took the opportunity once I became established in audiobooks. I didn't need to be within a spit of London anymore. I moved to the Lake District, which is something I'd always wanted to do. So I tend not to go into the studio anymore because it's quite time consuming. I tend to work from my own studio. Now, most people working in audiobooks, certainly in America, 
And the American model is how I've set myself up. Two reasons. One, it's a much more mature market, as in audiobooks have been a big deal in the States for a lot longer. And two, they pay a lot better. Uh, UK publishers, by and large, as with most aspects of the arts in the UK, tend to try and get you to do everything for as little as possible. So I work quite often with publishers, quite often directly with authors. When I first started, I would submit auditions. Still the case that there are one or two places like Findaway Voices and ACX, where authors can go, self-publishing authors or publishers can go and make available a manuscript and say, we're looking for a narrator for this book. Would you like to submit an audition? Penguin Random House have a, a similar thing. Various of the other publishers have their own talent databases. So you effectively register yourself with them or they invite you normally uh, when it's a major publisher, they invite you to put forward your profile and essentially you become part of their talent base and uh, they'll approach you as and when they've got something they think you're suited for. So the process of getting work is is quite, you know, you go and look for it. If you're an established and well-known actor, it may well come and look for you. But in under every other circumstance, you're going to have to go find it yourself. It's not going to it's not going to come to you. Once you've become established, and certainly if you've worked with an author, I have a couple of authors that I've done multiple books for. So you do find you get into a situation where the amount of time you spend chasing after work is not so great because you're getting booked up if you're lucky enough or if you've made the right choices or if you've connected with the right people, you're basically getting booked up in advance. And at one point in the middle of lockdown, or just after lockdown, 2020 or something, I was booked up for a year and a half in advance. I had absolutely no time to to myself. It's a good problem to have, let's put it that way. It was the opposite problem to looking for work as an actor. And having to turn some down probably. Yeah, if you find I was approached to do things, some books that I didn't want to do, not because there was anything wrong with them, just because they they didn't interest me. And if you're going to sit and read every single word of a book out loud and the hours that's going to take, if you're not actually interested in it and it isn't actually exciting you, uh, it's a very hard job. Mm. What's the preparation then in terms of getting ready for the narration? Do you read the book itself all the way through first to get yeah. a feel for the story and the, the, the pace of it all? Yeah. Again, there's different ways of working. Some people believe that they should just pick the book up and read it out at sight because that's a much more honest way that compared to how a reader will read it, as in they'll respond immediately. Most respected narrators definitely would not do that. Yes, your response when you're reading it as a reader for the first time is probably like what a reader would feel. So there is a, there's an argument to that. But are you conveying it? Are you capturing it? Are you making the right performance choices? Because you might have read it one way, and we all know you read a book, and quite often you have to go back and read it again because you didn't quite understand that particular bit or you're not quite sure what it meant or something. So there's just too many things to do, too many levels of information. Plus, let's say you're working on something like um, a crime writer. They spend an awful lot of time carefully constructing their stories, carefully seeding the red herrings. When you're reading a book, all words have equal weight on the page. But when you're reading it out, when you come to a character, if the first time you come to him, you go, 
I'm the bad guy, then you've just ruined the story. You know, if you you can't do that. So you have to know what that character's role is and you have to try and work out how has the writer sort of woven this together so that you're emphasising the things the writer has quietly emphasised. You're picking out the things that he's quietly seeded, but in such a way that you're not obviously, you're not doing it in an obvious way. You can't suddenly go, red herring, you know, or important point. You know, you, you can't do that. You destroy the reader's experience so yes you have to read the book through i would then once i've read it if there's if there are key issues like that i'll have made some notes always about where how you know these particularly important points basic terms i'll go through and i will color code all the characters so i'll ascribe a color to each character in each scene and make sure that the main reason I do that is uh, I, originally when I first started doing audiobooks, I didn't need to do it because you get so used to reading off the page in you know in stage readings or when you're rehearsing and so forth that you can it's not an issue. But when you're recording and reading for an audiobook, it really helps to just be able to glance ahead and know by the colour which character is coming next. So if you're going to have a conversation where you've got two characters working together, you know, you need to prepare that in such a way, or three characters, or one book I wrote had 14 characters in the same scene, each with supposedly their own voice, some of them men, some of them women, some of them weird creatures, and you're trying to get that with flow. So you need to do a lot of preparation on that sort of side of things. And it boils down to your particular strengths and weaknesses some people find it really difficult to adjust between one character and the next so some people will go through a whole thing and record just one character and then they'll go back and record the next character and go back and then essentially multi-track it i prefer to work much more fluidly so like i was as if i was reading live so i would sit and basically jump from character to character immediately in and out and to do that Again, you you need to have mapped it out and prepared which character is which. Would you leave a gap in between the uh, from the say the narrative to the character that then can sort of in your mind you can switch into that character and then edit that out afterwards or not? Um, yeah, there, uh, there's no hard and fast rules for me. I think some people believe there are rules that you should leave this long and this long. I I tend to read how I feel and sometimes that means that you'll you know you'll really snap in and out and particularly authors love to have characters interrupting each other and it's easy to see on the page you know the one guy says something then it's dot 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 and the other guy says something and then afterwards it goes he interrupted but if you're actually reading that out uh, reading it out live if you if you try and convey that i was just about to say I don't care what you were about to say. It just doesn't go. It's going to be, I was just about, I don't care what you were just about to say. You know, it's going to be boom, boom, one character into the next. Um, yeah, there's a kind of performance aspect to that that takes preparation. Some people don't do that at all, and it still works. Some people literally read it like Listen With Mother or like, you know, Jackie Norris, like they're reading out a story, and uh, they don't even go into different character voices. Um, and yet they can still do an excellent job, you know, without that. So there's there's no single way of doing it. How do you decide on the right voice for each of the characters? That's a good one, because 
there's some choices are obvious. Sometimes the writer gives you a description. So they might say his voice was like a sack of gravel tumbling down an echoey hallway. You know you're going to have to talk something like this. You, know. you, you sort of you get some pointers from that. Sometimes it can purely be looking at how characters interact during the course of a story, because you'll find there's only so many voices you can you can effectively make happen that. Um, Without you start having a hold your nose, or, or you know, how many tricks can you play? It's still you as a human being. So, some of your characters, if you were to put them all together, they wouldn't be distinct enough from each other. So, it may well be an, an, an exercise I quite often ask when I was training Bridget so that she could do it. It was to say, Well, look, because she doesn't really do accents or, um, or very many accents. And uh, she said, Well, how do I get around this if I, if I can't put on all these different voices? So well, a, a good exercise is to read a character and the next character with exactly the same voice, but try and make them sound like different people. So what I mean, for example, is in this particular case, this particular character is kind of speaking in this kind of particular way, which is quite particular. But the person responding to that has a completely different take on it. But it's just the same voice. No, it's not. It's not the same. Yes, it is. It's just the same. No, it isn't the same voice at all. So you've got two people, but you're not really doing anything other than, you know, different delivery that, that have strong characteristics. And straight away I can hear the difference because yeah. it's the character of the person coming out. Yeah, that, that's the thing. And if and that's really your job. So if you spend all your time going, I'll make this bloke talk like that. And, the, you know, then, OK, but sooner or later it's going to start sounding a bit silly if if you're not careful. So sometimes it is, depending on the nature of the story, I mean, if it's a massive fantasy full of fairies and elves and goblets and grimlets and all sorts, yeah, of course, make as many wacky voices as you like because that's kind of expected. But if you're reading, say, um, a period romance or period historical romance book where everyone's ever so, ever so, well, how many ever so, ever so voices can I possibly do? And he's quite an old one. Oh, well, I, I suppose I'm a little bit of a different one. But whichever way you look at it, there's going to be a maximum. So you've got to characterise rather than just make, you know, make, make voices up or make accents up. You need to be able to play a part and deliver the words in the dialogue with the convictions and the feelings and... That what you would if you were on stage performing it as a play. Some people are very over the top in audiobooks, so all their characters have to be very, very, very. And uh, again, in fantasy or whatever, you know, I have a place for that. But if you're reading crime and the bad guy is like heavily the bad guy, so it just to me, I'm not sure that that helps. You know, so the, it's mm. a question: what's your genre? What genre are you working in? And, and make sure that whatever you're doing is appropriate for that genre. Uh, yeah, straight away I'd be picturing um, Brian Blessed or James Earl Jones, mm. so on, and it would distract me from the character if it was that emph that so you know ex extreme voice. Yeah. What's the sign off with the um, authors like? So you know they've written this, they've spent months writing this piece of work, and you're going to turn it round, and they think that's nothing like the character I was saying. What's the relationship there between the author and yourself? Um, when you first start, if you're self-producing, it's quite important at the beginning to 
uh, and I've always been a believer through everything I've done with business or whatever I'm doing, be very clear at the beginning how it's going to work. Because you're going to work with an author, but audiobooks are... Yes, I get well paid for what I do, but unless I can do it within a certain period of time and to a certain degree of efficiency, it's suddenly not that well paid. You end up working very hard, very long hours, and it quite it, you know it quickly stops being economic. So you can't possibly have a scenario where the author is saying, "Yes, I, I didn't quite like what you did with that character. Do you think you could give him a, a bit more of an edge?" And oh, and, and 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 she sounds a little bit you know. You can't have those conversations conversations you just could not possibly get it done authors by definition not all but authors by definition are people who are in complete control of the worlds they create and they sometimes find it very hard to release or relinquish any of that control and what i always do is at the beginning of a relationship with an author you know we'll we'll have a lot of discussions about all those areas how they see their characters and we'll talk about you know talk through the book in terms of other uh, any particular feelings they've got. I ask char- uh, authors if they've got strong feelings about how characters should be. I don't mind doing that. I don't mind following their desires, but they have to tell me up front, not at the end or halfway through. So if you've got a, you know, ideally give me a character list, give me a biog for each character, as much information as you like. I don't care if you want to give me a backstory that's two pages long for every character. That's great. And maybe none of that will actually be in the book in terms of the details and the information, but it helps me shape that character and take on board their ideas. So a lot of that's done at the f- up front. Then what we'll normally do is record a sample, maybe 15 or 20 minute sample, which might be, it's usually I prefer to do a a chapter or two from the beginning. Sometimes there may be key events in the book where the author wants to see how you handle them. I will do that, but it's not ideal because if that key event is on chapter 17, it's almost guaranteed that by the time you've actually done all the full prep and actually put all the characters together in all the possible convolutions it may well be that what you do in that this is how i think i might handle it becomes totally different because you haven't done all the prep by that time you haven't had 17 chapters going you know to bring you to that point you're not telling the story in context so i'd rather say look look at how it starts and let's look at some of these elements once the author's then decided that they're happy with how you're conveying things, the choices you're making, your pacing, your delivery, the style of your delivery, which if they've asked you to do the job, you'll have to assume that they've, they like your work in the first place. From that point on, really, it's up to you to make your own choices. And the only time you'll have problems with that is if you haven't made that clear at the beginning. And it is, it's, you know, it is the, the way it's accepted. If an author's working through a publisher, Nine times out of ten, they don't even get a say in who reads the audiobook. The publisher will decide that. And nine times out of ten, the publishers will just send you the book. If there's any additional material from the author, they'll send you that. And then when you're finished, you'll send them the finished files. And that'll be it. That'll be, you know, if there's corrections or pickups, they'll do a proofing. And you'll do your pickups and corrections. Those being actual errors or extraneous sounds or mispronunciations or something uh, not being oh uh, could you say that a bit slower and could you say uh, not performance notes so the process it's good make it as clear as possible at the beginning and then at the end really once you've done it all it's literally just you'll do pickups and errors and then it's done 
So if I'm, say, looking at Audible, I'm looking at an audio book and it says it lasts nine hours, mm-hmm. how long will that taken you in out time of hours in preparation and the, the start to finish of the whole thing? How many hours would, I say, a nine-hour nine audio book take on average? Again, it, that does vary. Um, some books are more complicated than others, but I, I tend to work on average somewhere between two to three hours per finished hour. It can be five or six hours per finished hour. A nine-hour audiobook for me, I normally consider a week's work in terms of production and uh, preparation, but that can vary. Uh, I had to do a book with very little guidance that involved a huge amount of Latin and God knows what, and I've never studied Latin, so I had to do a lot of research on it. There was very little guidance on it. When I did it, the publisher came back and said, oh, we've put it in front of our Latin expert and he says you've used church Latin and you should have used something else Latin. Um, <laughs> so all these pronunciations need to change. So I kind of changed what I had to change, which was it took ages. And then it went back again and then a different expert proofed it and asked me to change all the things I'd changed back to what I'd done in the first place. So sometimes it can be incredibly frustrating and by the time you've finished you know you've ended up doing a ridiculous amount of hours and that was one rare occasion because it was a a well-known publisher you tend to trust that they'll handle the process so you you don't worry too much about having to dot the i's and cross the t's before you even start and i probably should have done a little bit more of that on that particular job yeah Oh gosh, do you ever um, do you do one book at a time, or ever a time where you've got two or three on the go at once? No, it's too difficult to do two or three. For me, it is. I'm sure some people can. Uh, and if I was doing factual books, I'd pro- you know, like uh, I don't tend to do an awful lot of um, textbook type things. I do some, but not many. Maybe those I could keep. I could run because they're they're so distinct in terms of their subject matter. But characters end up crossing over. You know, if you were to listen to lots of my audiobooks, you'd hear lots of different people whose essential voices are basically the same because not every single one of them is a completely unique creation in terms of the sound of the voice. And if you're trying to work across multiple books where some of the characters are fairly close, I mean, that's also because the way authors write them. You know, most detectives in a in a detective story are fairly similar. You know, if you think about it, there there are certain tropes and certain characters, and they, you know, they, by by and large, there's a lot of similarities between a lot of characters. It would just get a massive jumble in your head. And certainly, if you, when I'm doing a fantasy book, so a 24 hour book that I um, I did, each book is about 24 hours of actual finished audio and has somewhere in the region of 180 characters speaking characters each book. It's very hard to keep it yeah, keep your head around it. What's the biggest challenge in all of the production process? If you're certainly if you're self-producing, it's keeping energy uh, when you're hours and hours and hours in the studio and it's just you. Like I'm sitting in this little black room and it's just me and I'll be here for a working day and you're your own director Sort of, so you you're not getting any bounce back and anything, and to keep your work consistently high standard, keep everything of an equal energy, you know, so that you're you're always giving your best no matter what. It's quite it can be quite hard, particularly if you if you're tired, you've had a late night, not slept for whatever reason, you know, and you've got to get in the studio. And if you get ill, that's the worst part about this job. 
I was going to say, if you've got a cold or even the slightest bit of a, a blocked nose or something like that, that's going to come across, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't do that. So you can roughly get away with it by, uh, let's say you're ill for a week and you start a new project and finish it during that week. Then you can maybe get a consistent sound that might not be your normal sound. But if you come to a book that you started and you're fine and then halfway through it you've got COVID and you tried to carry on, you know, it's, it's not going to work. So that can be quite a challenge. That, that's been a fascinating insight. Thank you. I wanted to ask you particularly, probably one of the last questions here is about the impact of AI on the business. You know, it's impacting acting and so on. But what about audio books in terms of the, you know, I don't know, putting information into ChatGPT and it turns out a voice? What, what's your views on that in the future? Um, the best comment I've heard regarding this it was, was more to do with writing via AI rather than audiobooks, but it's totally the same thing. And the guy said, I'm not sure I can be bothered to read a book that nobody could be bothered to write. It's unavoidable that technology does these things. And I think it's part of a, it's part of a process that, I, that worries me, actually, not just for audiobooks because we're not the only people suffering from it or actors you know factory workers have been suffering from it for years having their jobs taken away by computers automatic checkouts in supermarkets i refuse to use them because i literally won't use them they're they're taking people's jobs away they might not be amazing jobs but they're jobs that those people won't get and they won't get a better job um, necessarily and i've got a big problem with that anyway just as the way society is evolving this move towards the use of ai in customer service it's being pushed like crazy upgrade your customer service i have never come across an automated customer service program that is anything other than the most frustrating pointless revolting waste of time you could possibly imagine the only people benefiting are the companies that no longer have to employ customer service people. Mm. Um, profit margin. Profit yeah. margin, margin, margin. That's all it is. Audiobooks is the same thing. If you're an author and you've carefully crafted your beautiful book, if you want it read out by a computer, go ahead. If that's what you want to do, do that. But I don't honestly believe that you're ever going to get a, st a, a situation where you'll end up with a better product. If some people are quite happy to read books, you know, with the when it first all started, you can set your Apple Mac to text-to-speech. Uh, I used to find it quite amusing sometimes just to get the text-to-speech to read stuff to me because it was hilarious. You know, the, 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 the way things would come out was just hilarious. It is getting a lot better, but in the same way that, you know, AI art is effectively plagiarized art it's just feed everybody's art in and then use that as a database to make something else that's plagiarism taking people's voices illegally as stephen fry's in the middle of a case at the moment apparently that he believes his voice has been stolen it's fundamentally wrong and that has to be i genuinely think that has to be stopped i'm not in favor of ai in the arts at all a, a real diamond is valuable for the exact opposite reason of why art is valuable. A real diamond is valuable because the world made it real. You know, Art is valuable because people made it real, and not because of anything else. You, know, you can't, you can't m manufacture art. I don't believe that you can. So audiobooks, for me, it's a massive issue. I'm hoping that authors who care about their work and publishers who care about their author's work will continue to have it performed by human beings. Absolutely. Uh, very much on your side on that one. Um, we'll just have to see how it, how it all goes. 
Greg, that's been brilliant. Thank you ever so much for sharing all of that with us. I've got one final question for you, and that is knowing what you know now and everything that you've been through, what one piece of advice would you give that teenage, bit of a rebel yourself that you mentioned in the first part? Um, if you genuinely believe it's what you want to do, don't let anybody or anything stop you doing it, no matter what it costs you, no matter how much it takes out of you, no matter how impossible it seems. Do not stop. That is great advice. Thanks very much. Where can people find out more about you? There's my website, which is voiceofgreg.com. It's probably the best place to go. And yeah, that's probably fine. I do use social media, but I tend not to use it for the purposes I'm supposed to, you know, promotion of self in that way. It's, it's much more interacting with people and keeping in touch with people. But in simple terms, yeah, my website, voiceofgreg.com. Greg, thanks very much indeed for joining Half Hour Mental. No worries, thank you. When I had the opportunity to chat to Greg, I was personally very interested to hear about how the whole audiobook process works, especially as I spend many an hour, as you may imagine, in the studio editing and producing podcasts and doing voiceovers like this. I was fascinated by the approach he takes to characters in books with regard to accents and how it varies widely across different genres. I'm sure you can tell why Greg has won the awards that he has and why he is in such demand. Thanks very much to Greg for his time and mentorship over the last two episodes. You can sample lots of Greg's work at his website, voiceofgreg.com, and his acting showreel, links to which can be found in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the series wherever you get your podcasts and do review the back catalogue if you're new to the series. You can leave feedback about the episode through social media by searching for Half Hour Mentor or via the email link that I've provided in the show notes. I'd love to know what you think of them. Well, that's it for today. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Bye for now.